Hello, you're listening to the Hammersley Brothers e-commerce podcast. If some of our discussions and tips are working for you, why don't you grab a 15-minute call with us at ecommercecall.com. We'll see whether we can help scale your e-commerce business. We will quickly see if we're a fit or whether we can recommend someone else to get you where you need to go. The worst case is you'll have a fun 15-minute chat and regardless, you'll come away understanding a lot more about your business. Book a call at ecommercecall.com. Hello and welcome to the Hammersley Brothers e-commerce podcast. This week, we're talking about the wrapping up of 2022 for e-commerce, the highs and lows of the year, and what's been going on. So let's get started. Hello, Ian. How are you? Good afternoon. I'm good. How are you? I'm all right. We suddenly hit proper summer here. As I was saying to someone, you, it's, you know, it's never really get used to having Christmas in the summer. It's strange. You know what? You it? always start these podcasts by talking about something to do with the weather in New Zealand. Yeah. And it is true that an Englishman is obsessed with the weather. And well, people, I feel like people, the, the first, first thing people want to know is, is, is what's the weather like in Mark's garden, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> how is, is the weather to, in Mark's garden? How is, how is, is he able hammock? to sit in his hammock? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, uh, yeah, I've already had a bit of how much time this morning, such as life. Yeah. You live in the yeah. dream. Well, I have to do it between meetings. I had, to, I had to get up at half past six this morning and did the seven o'clock call, and then I had a time, and then I've got this podcast and stuff like that. But in between, I was reading my book in a hammock. It's not a bad place. Better than commuting, isn't it? Sitting in the yeah. car between meetings. Yeah, it yeah. is. You um, live in it. You cracked it. Well, well. If only the hammock could solve all my problems. <laughs> it can. Um, yeah. Um, so 2022, I wanted to do a wrap up of 2022. And, you know, it's weird because if you look back to the beginning of 22, it seems such a long time ago. Like, mm. And I think when things seem like such a long time ago, it's because so much has happened between that time. Like the more that happens, the more you think time has passed and you think it's the longer year than it than it has been. And I think the market, particularly e-commerce market, has gone through so many iterations over the 2022 that it feels like it's multiple years. Like, yeah, it does. Beginning of it was still the kind of high of the lockdowns and e-commerce was doing amazing and uh, everybody was, you know, swimming in the sea. You know, like the, the kind of, it doesn't make sense without saying the Warren Buffett quote, you know, when the tide goes out, you find out who's been wearing trousers and the tide was very much in and people were floating high at the beginning. And um, and then the, the tide kind of went out, didn't it, around yeah. around April, March, April still, time. We were, well, it was, I think, yeah, I mean, we're still coming out. Of the, yeah, we were still in lockdown, really, you know, the tail end of the COVID lockdown. And, you know, the shop, I don't know when the shops opened or didn't open, but it seemed to be that there was, um, you know, there was, it was a good, it was a good November and a good Christmas in 2021. And then, and January seemed to be okay in 2022, but then it's like, it was almost like a switch halfway through January where we started to see some clients, some e-commerce businesses suffer and start to find that their ROAS was, was dropping um, and their, you know, their conversion rates were dropping, and just the revenue was going down, and you know, cost for advertising was going up, and so, and then by sort of March, I think everybody was saying, 
oh, it's pretty tough. Pretty well, tough out there. Because obviously we work with people all around the world, and I think certain places have found it more hard. I think the UK has found it harder than most people because it's been going through a couple of things. It's been going through the Brexit effects, and they've been going through infl- bigger inflation than everybody else. Um, One stock problems too. Yeah, and I stock mean everybody problems. has stock. Yeah, um, but I mean, but you know, generally, I think um, it was the businesses that that a well, a the ones that did quite well during COVID had the COVID effect. They were the ones that sort of saw that you know the more of a negative swing the other way, mm. and then and then generally because the the costs went up. For, for raw materials and stock and logistics and transportation because obviously the, the container had all the container prices the container prices went up from like yeah. $2,000 to um, to like $20,000 or something like that really really high and it's interesting what you were saying people. about the containers like you've seen certain people yeah. not affected by that because like who, people who are shipping air like people like made.com you know they're, 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 they're Furniture, there's a lot of air in furniture, even inside the cushions. Whereas someone shipping something like bedding, it's very tightly packed. And so the, the, the revenue of the, the, the actual um, amount of revenue you can get out of the stock from a container is way well, higher. Put it this way um, I think the, the container that made.com were shipping was, you know, was really only, you know, the value of this stuff they could fit inside that container was. Let's call it, I don't know, $50,000 worth. Whereas, mm. you know, another business could be shipping $350,000 worth in the same container. And obviously, if the container costs go up from, you know, $2,000 to $18,000, mm. you know, proportion to the value of the goods inside the container is massive. Like the people that were shipping furniture, you know, which is big and bulky and heavy and has a space, it obviously affected them. So, but, so, mm. but anyway, I mean, it basically, it meant that the businesses that were, uh, you know, having a, you know, quite a smaller margin, that, you know, who didn't really have any buffer, they were the ones that seemed to be suffering, you know. But, but here's the, here's the thing, Joe, I'll, I'll move, I can't, I will move on for that point if you want. But you, you, you start, well, you opened your brain, you were like, <gasps> as if you were going to say something. Well, so I'll let you. Well, yeah, I don't know. I, I kind of was. And I think that at that time, my, my reaction, like our reaction to when people talked about it was, because um, I want to put a more positive spin on it, because it's, it's not really been like that for us. And in fact, we've seen lots of yeah. successes. And I think that I wanted to kind of bring it out of that. And I said at the time, you know, when this was happening, it's like, you know, people started saying to me, oh, we're not going to grow. We're not going to do anything, blah, blah, blah. It was like very sentiment analysis. And I said, look, this is very similar to when Ian and I started e-commerce in 2008 and really that was the time when if we're looking back you know we actually created a lot of or helped create a lot of big e-commerce brands that 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 are, that are you know have done very very well today and i think the same thing i said then it was like there's going to be disruptors you're going to look in 2022 2023 2024 and look back and you'll go Oh my God! These e-commerce businesses have grown out of nothing from the you know the carnage that has happened from some of these these big brands, and you're seeing that. Like, I'm starting to see them come through now. Like, there's lots of these community-based businesses that are particularly doing well with like sportswear and niche things like that, and they're growing so fast. Um, and it's really interesting to see the models of the business and also like there's always underlying trends there's always waves to catch that that's just happening and, and one thing that's been 
quite a privilege for, for you know, obviously the position we're in now, we, we're working with people across the world, we're getting to see huge amounts of businesses. And the amount of potential that we're seeing in businesses that come across my desk and your desk is still phenomenal. Yeah, it, It's still like you're looking at it going, how has this business got this far with these basic product pages and, and then things like that? And it's like, wow, if they just do this, this, and this. Like I was looking at, gosh, it was uh, the jiu-jitsu industry yesterday. And it's like, all oh, these brands are growing really well. And it's like, but their, their websites are just all awful, like really bad. And, but they're growing. They're on, they're on, these, on these waves of growth. Yeah. And like there's still a huge amount to play for. I mean, the, the e-commerce, you know, the commerce growth, the e-commerce wave, it's still really big and it's still growing. And, it, you know, it, it's, it's going to continue to happen. And what, what we're seeing is, is the opportunity is different in that like, people could, like, you know, four years ago, you could rock up, you could get an average website and you could find something and you could go into Google shopping and you could just dominate it or you could do Facebook and Facebook was open. You know, yeah, sure, it has got harder. It has got harder to do those basic things. But where we're seeing the growth is in these kind of brands that can do things that the bigger brands can't. So an example for that is like the like the, one of the, the home decor businesses, like the, the incumbents of the home decor businesses are doing loads. They're these big companies now doing 50 million, 100 million with a team of e-commerce um, managers and they do things in a certain way and all stuff. And then they got these kind of new uh, homeware brands that are doing, you know, two, three million. Uh, and it's founder-led, a team, very close team. And they're starting to do lives and they're starting to do community building and starting to connect directly with the customers. And they're growing so fast because the bigger businesses like made.com and those people that have kind of struggled, they got, they got too big to actually be what they needed to be well, in the next they're not, phase. They're not, they're not disrupting, are they? They're not disruptors. No. And, no. and actually, um, you know, there's another example of that, which was, which was a big business in the cookware industry, yeah. uh, which we did a big piece for. And, um, and they, were, they, they were saying to me, you know, when we, you know, when we first started 10 years ago, you know, we, we, were, we were the disruptors. Yeah. And we were we were going up against the big boys, and we were saying, right, we can make you know we can make that pan, that that set of knives, you know that saucepan, that chopping board. We can make that the better quality than that, and we can charge half the price. And they yeah. they basically just went up and went, why pay more? You know, mm. and that was their model. And they, you know, they, and their business now is doing about eighty million, uh, but now they are getting their heels clipped by. Yeah. Uh, by the people who are disrupting them, you know, yeah. so they've got to really look at that and go, "Hang on a minute, you know, we're no longer the disruptors. We are being disrupted by these really, really fast-growing, exciting cookware brands who have, you know, who, who have who have actually looked at tech, not looked at places like tick, tick, TikTok and crowd um, uh, fund, you know, crowdfunding, yeah, and gone and stuff, you know, Kickstarter. I was one of looking for, and they've done stuff like that, and they kind of come from like nowhere. You know, and they're really growing, and they're massively growing market share. And so, you know, there was something that happened going back to the start of 2022. Where lots of econ businesses were asking me and you the question of, you know, what should I be forecasting this year? Like, we really don't know because 
you know, we, you know, we did really well in the last couple of years, and we can see it's declining now. Do you know what? We're just gonna, we can't do anything about it. The market's changed. Like, let's retract. And it's like, hang on a minute. You don't have to feel. You don't have that. That can't be um, the only strategy. Is you just watch the market, you know, go and not do mm. anything about it. And you know, we built. I mean, we look at the demo store that we created. We we started that in like July, June, July. Was you know, March and like started in March and it was started it in was March. Like, we didn't do anything in. Yeah, March. But it was we definitely did. around the time when it went live. It was like. We've we've missed the boat. Everybody's like, why would well, we, you so why would you bring we, a, a bedding a bedding mark e-commerce uh, site into a co- really competitive area at the time when the boom's gone over? And I was like, well, I'm going to do it anyway. Yeah. To, be, to be honest, one thing I wanted to say was my whole career has been happened at the wrong time. Like I came out of university in two thousand came into the 9-11 um, crash. And that was the first time I had to get a job in, in, in that downturn. And then like the, the other thing was like that when we had to make that big change in 2008. And like all the way through my career, the market has said to me, now's not a good time, Mark, for you to do, do well. And I was like, well, no, this is my time. This is the time when I need to establish myself, make money, do well. And I've kind of always gone, well, that's what the market's doing, but I've got to do successful. I've got to be successful anyway, because this is my time. I can't wait for the market to be right for me to kind of do it. It's like, I've got these five years or whatever. And so it's always been a case of kind of going, well, okay, it's not bullshit that, 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 that things are happening. But at the same time, I know the money sloshes around. I know that money money moves from one side of business to the other, and you, you like where's it going? What's happening? Yeah. And you'll see these huge. I mean, COVID was an example. Like, so if you were in uh, like physical retail, you'd be like hurting. But if you were in online retail, you were you were you were laughing because you're like, God, I could print much. Particularly online food, you could make up a these sandwich and sell it online, yeah. and think you're a well, genius. Well, I mean, generally, like now. You know, and actually looking to that, what you just said there, but you came into e-commerce at, you know, the wrong time. It was all, you know, it was a bad time for this. You came into the, you know, 9-11 and you came into the credit crisis. But you know what? In our entire career, what we've, what we've worked with more than anything in e-commerce was, was, was disruptive e-commerce brands. Yeah. You know, we, we, you know, we've, we've cut our cloth and spent the last 15 years working with businesses who want to grow by stealing market share off the big boys. Yeah. You know, we've never really looked and worked with the big, we have occasionally worked with the big boys. You know what? The big boys, they, they are, it's so easy for them. You know, in, in most cases, when the market's quite, quite doing quite nice. Um, they don't have to do anything because they've got a massive customer house file. Everybody mm. knows who they are. You know, they drop a new category and everybody goes crazy. But, you know, because they, they're massive. But, you know, this is now is the time to be disruptive and to think you're going to grow by stealing market share. And when the big boys are asleep and they're pulling back, you know, you've got a chance to get your marketing budget to go further, to be heard, to be disruptive. Mm. To think, you know, genuinely, I am going to grow by stopping my customer buying from somebody else. And in the time that's happening, 
that you know there's a you know we're going into you know a financial crisis and everyone's looking at looking at things. You know, they change suppliers. You know, the cha- this is when this is when changing of suppliers happens. This is when they don't mm. buy bedding from the white company and John yeah. Lewis. They go online and they look for the new bedding companies and guess who's popping up? The yeah. bloody demo store with a massive offer, with loads of social proof, with loads of trust and credibility, with an incredible returns policy and delivered next day. Offer mm. ends midnight. You know what I mean? It's classic. Mm. It's a perfect opportunity to, for, for the people that listen to this podcast to go, do you know what? I'm really going to go for it now. Yeah. You know, and, and mix the stuff. And just, just think, why would people buy from me and not somebody else? You, yeah. you, and you don't have to sit back and watch what happened during COVID and accept it now. You know, but, but you've it, got to be stark. It, it, it you reminds just... me of, and this is, this is like software as a service. So like when I used to work with Vend, Vend do point of sale systems and they came into a market and used to have a till system in a physical shop. And it was, you know, like a thousand pounds from IBM. You had to have that physical till system with a cash register and all that kind of stuff. And then Vend came in and said, look, you know, you can have an iPad, you can pay 30 bucks a month and you can have a pause system and, you know, with a, with a cash system and all that kind of stuff. And it was like 30 pound a month. And it was like, well, 30 pound a month, as opposed to an investment of like, you know, 10 grand or something. And it was like, wow, that's disruption. And then then got really, really big. And, but then what happened was, is that someone came along, did a pause system for a coffee shop. Someone came along and did one for hair hairdressers. Someone came along and did and did one for butchers. You know, it became like what they said to me is like it's like death by a thousand cuts because they had disrupted what was there before and then they were being disrupted. But you know, where do you want to be in that market? You know, like those um, like the pause system for the hairdressers, for example, was probably a billion dollar market on its own, yeah. and so. It, 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 you want to be one of those cuts. You want to be the death. You know, you don't want to be the person who's being cut. You want to be the person who's creating that that thing. So if you look at like Made.com and the 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 hole in the market that's creating. You don't want to become another de- Made.com, but you want to become um, a niche within that market who specialises in a certain type of sofa and does really well for that type of sofa, and you know, kind of dominates that that market you know maybe you wanted to be so you can move so much faster you know than the big guys you know you you know you you can test things without having to get it signed off by you know the shareholders Mm. you know your or the board of directors you can go you know what we're going to do uh we're going to change our newsletter pop-up this week we're going to do a you know an up to 50 percent off Mm. you know we're not going to do a 10 percent off we're going to do an up to 50 percent off and uh, and it's just going to be you know a clearance category item. We're going to use that as a hook to get the email, you know, mm. or we're going to split test, um, you know, a uh, you know sixty day returns policy, not a thirty day. You, you you can do anything. So fat, you're in control. You know, if you're an mm. econ business that's kind of doing you know naught to ten million, you are so agile, and mm. you know compared to. You know these other big these other big dominant players. It's going to take them ages to move. They're they're driving an oil tanker. You know what and has slow. happened. What has happened, and this is this is important to mention, is that 
sure during when it was the boom times and everything could be done you know you, the, the tide was in you didn't know who who wasn't wearing any trousers and the tide's gone out and what's become more important was the growth model that you, you need a growth model. You need to understand your figures. And that's why you know a lot of people have come to us because we've got the growth models. And I think that if you look at where we were two years ago, we knew the growth models on our head, but we didn't really know how to teach them. And those those tools and things have come out. And I feel like yeah. I understand it in a very clear way that I can teach other people now. And that's become I, super important. And I just say that what one of the things that we've we've noticed in the last probably three or four months of all the econ brands that are coming into the, the the level two implementation program is that they've they've got a lot of um got a lot of cost mm. that we could cut away like they were spending a lot on agencies for example on seo mm. contracts on affiliate contracts on uh google you know ad, managing google ads and 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 doing Facebook and like, you know, some of them were paying, you know, fifteen, twenty thousand pounds a month. You know, we're like, hang on a minute, that seems a bit high. And 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 obviously what was happening was if with all these agency costs and all these app costs and all these different costs here or there, it was meaning that their their ROAS, you know, had to be much higher in order to pay for all of these these yeah. fees. What's you know, interesting, was, what know, I think has become is like the like be, you used to say, beware of beware of graduates with spreadsheets, and I think now that I was like, beware of agencies with nice nice offices. Like, yeah, yeah. They, yeah. They, those nice offices were, you know, they were there. People liked it. They want to be part of it and all that kind of stuff. Strip that away. You just don't need that. Like, if you've got an agency with a really nice office, you should be asking yourself, what are you doing? Because the talent isn't there in the office. Like it doesn't just because I've got a nice office doesn't mean I have better talent, and so be yeah be aware of nice offices well, because it's you, know, you, you end up paying for it. A lot of times you would go into an agency with nice offices and you go, well, you know I don't really know what this agency is doing over this agency, but this one's got a great office. They must be successful. It felt really good. It feels like they're in a, you know great growth. You mm. know what? But the, you know they've got you've got. The growth model that Mark and I are talking about, just to come back to that, you know, that comes from within, actually. It's very rare that you'll find an agency that, you know, a performance agency or a social agency or creative agency that really goes into that, you know, the fundamental maths of the business. Yeah. Um, it's quite rare. I mean, it's, you know, it, and so, you know, they're kind of, the agency sort of polishing the outside of your econ business but they're not looking at the core and the core fundamental growth model is what is our margin? What is our lifetime customer value? What is our average order value? What's our traffic? Exactly how much traffic do I need to get my target of 3 million next year? If my average order value is this, and if my lifetime mm. customer value is this and exactly what is my ROAS? You know, what, what, what is my ROAS? Like not a lot of people, it's quite a difficult question. Actually, it sounds simple, but when you well, I think it in, comes down to like you can. Have, I mean, I, 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 let's not criticize agencies. There's there's a lot of great agencies out there, but they have a remit that they can do. And I think that what we're trying to do is empower the e-commerce owner or at least the e-commerce manager within those businesses to be able to have a better conversation with the agencies that they're employing to understand what's actually happening. Because without that conversation, 
and this has happened over the over this year, is that without having a better conversation, the agency is going to try and please the client, try and please the manager. But if the manager doesn't really know fundamentally what the numbers are and what they're trying to achieve, it's going to be the wrong yeah. thing. And I think that the tide going out and, and, and people being able to see who is wearing the trousers, it's what we created. A lot of busy fools were created. A lot of people who um, were selling stuff because they wanted to sell stuff and but didn't actually look what it was fundamentally happening. I mean, yeah. I, I won't mention who, who they were, but like someone who sells, who's on the level two program at the moment, they were out there and their recruitment roles was 0.5. And like they were losing, yeah. losing so much money. There was no point to do that. And so what it didn't is, take much, that, did it? I say turn no, it, it didn't. No, I, I agree. We're definitely not agency bashing because there's some amazing, amazing, amazing creative people. But what happened is when the markets turned down a little bit, there was a reaction that they would go to the uh, the performance agencies, the creative media buying agencies, and go and give them a load of money. Mm. And all that happened is they made the problem worse, you know, because they hadn't addressed the core maths of the business. You know, yeah. yeah, and that's what they've done. I mean, so, I mean, in that in that company that I know you're talking about there, and they'll probably listen to this podcast. But it, it, you know, they were quickly digging a massive hole for themselves, and they were they were they were in a mess. You know, they they would have if they carried on. You know, that hole got bigger and bigger and bigger because they're recruiting at a loss and they were mm. retaining at a lot. Like it was just didn't work. Yeah. And and I think also what happened as well is that. They'd done well during COVID and they'd become quite precious. And that's that I don't don't mean to say that word because they're listening and they're lovely, lovely people, but they had, they'd become a bit precious about the brand that they thought they had. Mm. You know, they'd become a bit reluctant to go, well, we're not gonna, you know, we, we you know, we're not gonna do an offer or we're not gonna we're not gonna do a discount, we're not gonna you know, they were reluctant to put the prices up to be able to to incentivize people because they felt like that isn't that isn't what they should be. That isn't the brand that they should be doing. And we were like, look, you know, you're doing a couple of million now. You want to get to ten. You know, until you get to ten million, you've got to you can't be precious. You know, you don't have a brand. You know, nobody knows really who you are. Yeah, you've got a couple of a million in revenue, but you you're too small to even be bothered about um, whether or not you should be, you know, protecting the brand. Like you don't have a brand. You only get a brand mm. by recruiting customers. So, so it's interestingly, I was just going to bring in that, that there's a book I'm reading at the moment called The Luxury Strategy, which I'm finding really interesting. And it's the it's called The Luxury Strategy, Break the Rules of Marketing and Build Luxury Brands, which is by Vincent Bastian and Sean Noel um, Katfara. And it, it, I wanted to read it because it, we always say, you know, be careful with your brand. And a lot of people kind of follow this. You know, oh, never discount. You're always going to be going down to the bottom because these these kind of brands like Louis Vuitton never discount. And but if you think about it, and I think I was talking to you about this the other night, mm. like those brands are existing to sell to the two percent of people who buy something for status, like complete status. That a brand is bought, like you, you. If you look at a Louis Vuitton suitcase, it's a pretty crap suitcase. 
Like, actually look at it, what it is. It's not functional. It's just rubbish. It's nice, the material. It looks okay. But it's purely for status. It's like $6,000 for an average suitcase. The only reason you're buying that brand is because it's for status and it's to be part of, a, of an exclusive club. If your brand is going to be purely bought for status sig- signaling, then don't discount, right? Don't ever discount. That's a different strategy. It's a completely different world. But if your brand is not going to be bought for status signaling, and that's the sole reason for it, you're in a different, you're in a completely different market to those, those people. So you have to be careful that you kind of align. It's like me setting up a perfume brand and going, I'm just going to go and copy Christian Dior. It's like, no, you're not, because you're not Christian Dior. You're not like you're not going to use that strategy. No one's going to buy your perfume, Mark, because of status. They're going to buy the perfume if it makes them feel relaxed or it does something or it's something else. To be honest, I'm not going to launch a perfume. It would be a bad yeah. idea. But and I think I'll just say on, the, on that note about status, because I think there will be people listening to this who, you know, maybe they're selling clothing, you know, or, you know, men's, mm. men's fashion or something, or women's fashion. And they'll be thinking, well, there is a bit of status. You know, I'm a, I'm a brand, you know, there is a bit of status in it. But what, what Mark means by this, by selling purely on status, if you're, you know, if you're Louis Vuitton and you're selling a, a suitcase for $6,000, now that, that is a different level of status than mm. selling, uh, you know, a nice summer dress for 200 pounds. Yeah. The question is, do you see yourself having a shop next to a Louis Vuitton shop in the most expensive area in London and having shops like that all around the world? Is that what you're going to do with your brand? Do you ever see that? And it's like that's where you've got to be. Fundamentally, you've got to be if you're going to follow that strategy. Now, there are brands that you don't necessarily need to discounting or do offer architecture and things like that. And there's different ways. And we've talked about those three doors you go through. And one is exclusivity and uh, fear of missing out and things like that. But you have to have some offer architecture to move stock because you've got to put an entertainment layer on the business because that's what you're doing. But I think that there's a definite, you you can't compare yourself to Louis Vuitton. You just can't. And, um, you know, when those brands started out, they would have started out probably behind a founder who was already seen as fairly high status. You know what? They are to be they are almost they're almost like artists. Yeah. You know, it reminds yeah. me of a, you know, we were working with the business at the moment and we were saying, well, really, you know, you're an artist. And they were selling home furnishings, but it was like yeah. exclusive, you know, quite expensive pieces of home furnishings. And mm. you know, they're an artist. You know, yeah. because the lead times were quite long and, you know, they just were never competing in the normal world of home furnishings because, you know, they didn't have the stock, they didn't have the cash flow, they didn't want the type of business. So they're an artist. And I think that's what, you know, when Louis, Vuitton, when Louis Vuitton businesses started, they're an artist. And guess what an artist has to do? Has to build an audience around them. Yeah. And they have to, they dip, they do exclusive limited edition one-off pieces. Yeah. And that's what they do. And everybody gets very excited about it. Mm. You know, they don't they don't do big discounts, big deals because because that because that would ruin the exclusiveness, wouldn't it? You know, yeah. the status of it. If everybody can get this for like fifty percent off, no, yeah, this isn't safe. so. It's just it's just picking what business you you are. You know, and I think basically we're saying, look, you've got you've got to fundamentally answer the question right now: is why would people buy from you, and how am I going to scale? What what growth door am I going to go down? 
You know, do I yeah. think my e-commerce brand is going to sit out, have a shop next to Louis Vuitton? Well, if the answer is no, get yourself bloody discounting. <laughs> because how else are you going to do it? What else are you going to do? You're going to yeah. go and sponsor, you know, New York Catwalk. You know, you're going to go, at, you know, get a shop. Like, how are you going to get the desirability and credibility? You know, what yeah. are you going to, you know, what's your model? What's your plan? Yeah, and it, it's not just, I mean, I think people fear when it's, we say, discount. But look at the, like, Charles Tirrett, like, the, the four shirts for 100. That's the same yeah. thing. It doesn't feel like a discounting strategy, yeah. but that's what they're, that's what they're, that's what built their business, wasn't it? 100, it was, yeah, 100 million, 200 million dollar business now mm. you know and, and the white company there's many 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 examples of, of people that have successfully grown to really well established businesses the white company is one they were a discounter and we've talked about this a hell of a lot but i think mark and i are basically saying that don't be precious about especially now you know when the you know covid is over you know we're seeing you know, cost of advertising is expensive, but people are, st- you know, there's, we've got we've got some real, real, we've had some amazing success stories this year of, yeah. of e-com brands really growing and going like, wow, like they've just gone from nothing to, you know, turning over, you know, three million. You're like, wow. What? And, it, and it's because they're being disruptive and they're answering the question about why people should buy from you. And they're hungry. Um, they're hungry. I was listening yeah. to the interview you did with someone yesterday and he was saying, look, we're just taking market shares from it because we're giving better customer service. We're on point. People are, you know, and they're just not listening to the kind of down hype. It's like from his point of view, yeah. he's like, you know, last year I was doing 50 orders a day. Now I'm doing 300 orders a day. I'm not going look at the newspaper going, oh, well, hang on. I'm going to return all those extra orders because this shouldn't be happening. It's like he's looking at the numbers. He's looking at his growth model. And he's playing based on the growth model. And he's letting that dictate where he's going. And yeah. that's what we need to have is the discussion that the numbers tell us to understand what the fundamental constraint is. Like it's like the you know the I used to be an engineer and it's like the theory of constraints. What is the constraint of the business? If you don't know what the constraint of the business is, it's obviously you're not spending enough on paid traffic. Spend more on paid traffic. Find the constraint. Remove the constraint, and then fix the next thing that pops up. And like it's that that's the discussion. That should be yeah. the limiting factor for the business, not what it says in the paper that, that day and, and what's happening. But you'll see that. Like, I, I, the, the, it's been interesting coaching a lot of the startups this year. And based on the, how negative the headlines get in the papers will be how they react on the Facebook group and what discussions they talk about the next day. Whereas really, the newspaper is just trying to sell papers. It's trying to sell stories that happen. And it doesn't, like, if you look at the actual figures and look at the recruitment robust that it got, it didn't really affect whether people bought my bedding that day or not. It was just completely dis- disjointed. Yeah. And so you've got to be very careful what you read and what you buy into and what you do, because there's going to be such fantastic brands that have been built right at the moment, right under your eyes. And you're just going, it's like when I came out of university. And then, like, five years later, Facebook became this big business. And I was like, God. What was I doing? You know? Yeah. What? Why? It's like you think if you look back at that time in 2000, you think, gosh, this was such a time when things were being built and these things were coming out of nowhere. And you thought, yeah. you know, how did you, you know not what? make money online? Other, how can I'll I be so you, uh, rubbish? <laughs> <laughs> the other thing is, 
In fact, that company that you you watched the kickoff interview that I had with them, and I don't know which one you talked to, Jiu-Jitsu guys, and I was saying to them as well, it's like, right, okay, the three-year vision, you know, we, we talked about the targets, what the target, you know, what we wanted to do, we wanted to do 10 million. And, and then, you know, and we working out, okay, what's the average order value and what's the, um, you know, what's the conversion rate, add to basket, basket to check out, you know, checking all those things are correct, how much traffic we need, look at lifetime customer value. And then we're going into the margin, the margin calc, like how much can we physically afford to recruit a customer at? And we're saying, well, you know, the, you know, it's, it's like three times ROAS, but if we got lifetime customer value up to, you know, twice a year, you know, we could be more aggressive. Mm. And we could go for go for real growth and really go for it, and then obviously it's the drop by drop report we talk about. But the other thing, and the drop by drop report is it's something that I think it's, I think that's really game changed and re- revolutionised a lot of a lot of things that we've done in the last couple of years. I think the drop by drop report. But you know, I'll just say the thing that we said I said to the to this brand. I was like, right, what's your three year plan? Are you going to sell in three years? You know, do you want to get bought out? Do you yeah. want to? Do you want to sell? Do you want to? You know? Do you want to de-risk it? Do you want to? Um, you know, get you know dilute your share equity and and de-risk the business for you. You know, and it's like probably yeah. And I said okay, well that changes the philosophy, you know, the strategy, the growth model because if you want to do that, you know, you know you can be you know you, that's your ultimate game, isn't it? That you're not mm. doing this to make a massive profit, you know, to you know to make 300,000 quid profit at the end of the year, you're doing this actually to get the big sale in three years. And that does change how aggressive you want to be and how hard you want to push and how many customers you can recruit, you know, what your lifetime customer value is. And and it's almost in that, when that happens, you know, don't worry quite, I mean, I'm going to say this with a pinch of salt, but we don't worry as much about the margin because often, you know, if a bigger business comes in, they often they bring that with them. They bring the buying power with them, the cash flow, you know, yeah. the stock and things. But it's more about can they recruit customers? But it does change it slightly, doesn't it? You know, what's the plan? Well, it what's obviously it changes where, where you go. It's like having a map, isn't it? Where am I going? You know, like, oh, we're going over here. Right, we're going to need a bigger truck. You know, that's, that's, the, that's the fundamental thing. And I think that over 2022, we've seen the the map has changed you know like i think the beginning some people were just seeing themselves in a in a rising tide and they're just like yeah that's just amazing let's keep going and i think it, that covid went on for such a long time that people started to think they were geniuses and they started to think yeah. that this was the new normal and this is was going to be where it was going to be and then it was a real shock to people because if you've ever grown an e-commerce business or or any business you've been used to growth You've been used to kind of going, you know, you started out, you did 100 grand the first year, and then maybe you did 400 grand, and then you're growing up. And it's very different building a business that's growing than building a business that's contracting or at least not growing as where it was. And it's a different skill set to to, to contracting. Like, like let's say you were doing 14 million, and this is a company that 40 million in the, in the, in COVID due to a lot of the garden centers being closed. And then obviously they contracted after that. And obviously when you're doing 40 million, you think you're doing something. And then you got, you're starting to do like 5 million. It's a different business. And it's not in a, in an entrepreneur's mindset to kind of reverse and keep going. But, if, but that's effectively what has to happen because 
it, it is it is weird, isn't it? And I know you felt this. Well, Ian. I think yeah, but like a lot, most e-commerce businesses, they you know they were growing year on year on year. You know, they were twenty percent each year, and and then all of a sudden, you know, some of them were looking at this. You know, hang on, we're doing we're not doing as much as we did last year. Sometimes it was we were doing half the amount we did last year. Yeah, yeah, and it was a shock. It was a shock, and and it's really it, you've really got to regroup, tuck in. You know, be lean where you need to be lean. Like, get rid of, you know, don't go off and throw loads of money at massive, you know, ad, ad agencies until you've you've looked at the maths. You've looked at the core. You know, what is our, do the target sheet. Download our target sheet. Do it. Do, yeah, do, it, the, do margin the margin calculator. calculator. Do the drop by drop sheet. You can sheet. understand, yeah. Do those three. Those three things are awesome that you know the things that we've put together that time i know we're saying this but i don't care it is you know trust me we've worked with so many econ businesses and the first thing we do is we do the target sheet we do us we do the margin calculator which tells us exactly how much it's going to cost we can afford to pay to recruit a customer based on lifety customer value and margin and then we do the drop by drop and like mm. those things, like if you haven't got those things, if you're not running your business that way, then you're kind of blind because you've got, you know, you'll be faffing around with attribution. You won't be looking at the things at the right time. You'll look at things at the end of the month, you know, or if you're lucky, you know, get those things set up. I can tell whether people are on track or not by the questions they ask me. Like the, the people who are on the 20K core program, for example, like the kind of questions they ask me, I can tell them whether they're going to be successful or not. And a lot of them, when they're not doing well, they'll ask me questions about, oh, I've got this kind of funny thing coming up in Google Ads. It's like this, this message about this. And I've got this. And what about this report? And I'm like this. And I write, I'm thinking, if you knew what you're doing, you should be saying, on my product page, my ad to basket rate is 6%. To hit my targets, I need it to be 8%. What do I do? Like, I know that if they're focusing yeah. on that, they're going to be successful. And it's, yeah. it comes down to knowing and asking the right questions and focusing on the right well, things. Well, forces you. And that, that, that target sheet that we did that forced look to add to basket and, ba- and basket to check out, check out to order, you know, it forces you to look at the right things. And if you don't have that growth model in place, you're scattergun. You're all over the mm. place. And you yeah, you end up focusing on like also, something it, it that gives you an, is popping up at you. Yeah, and it gives like it's like there with the demo store. I mean, it, it, like during Black Friday and we were sending a lot of emails out, I suddenly went, My my God, our recruitment Ross is pretty phenomenal at the moment. I wonder how far I can take it. And I was like able to recruit huge amounts of customers during those three, four days. And I didn't really expect to be able to. I didn't know that was going to happen. I thought maybe it would mm. be existing customers are buying. But it was like, gosh, I'm recruiting huge amounts of customers at the moment. And my growth model is just telling me to spend more. So I did. You know, I went from spending a thousand, you know, $1,500 a day to about $7,000 a day at the peak. And I was still hitting my recruitment target. And like that, that was just, it's, I didn't have to think about it. Yeah. It wasn't like, oh, should, I, that's should I spend much more at the moment? You know, it was just well, that's because you, that, And that's because we had the drop by drop report set up every day telling us what our return on ad spend was for new customers across mm. the, all of the channels. And that was why. 
Yeah. So we made hay while the sun shines. You yeah. know, we didn't look back at the we didn't look back now because some businesses will be looking back at the end of November going, oh, Roas was quite good. Probably mm. could have spent a bit more now. Like you have to look at that every day. Yeah, you know, you're making that you're making that decision. You know, as it's, it's happening, it's about having that money printing business, like that money printing machine. And sometimes you're putting $10 in and you're getting $10 out. And you think, well, that's not particularly good. But sometimes the machine goes, you put $10 into the machine, you get $100 out and you go, hang on a minute. How much money do you want to put into this machine? It's a money printing yeah. machine. I'm going to stick as much money into it as possible. I know. But you need to know, understand what's coming out of like, it, don't you, in real it's time. Also, you do. And that's why you need to look at it all the time. And it's a bit like, you know, if you were trying to sell a barbecue now, you know, okay, in, in, in Europe – it's bloody cold. How much is it going to cost us to recruit a customer to buy a barbecue? Probably, like, we might get a row ass of, I don't know, God, one to one if we're lucky. You know, mm. you know it's going to be really, really expensive. Maybe let's say it costs us, you know, £100 to recruit a customer to buy a barbecue now. But in the summer, it might only cost us £15 to recruit a customer to buy a barbecue. Yeah. So guess what we're going to do? Do you want to recruit a customer at hundred pounds, or do you mm. want to recruit more customers at fifteen pounds, or have more customers at fifteen pounds? Well, how do you know that? Well, you have to have your drop by drop report to tell you. And then you have to have you know? like, then you have to go. Well, what can I sell to these people during the winter? Like, what can I do? Um, because you've got all these customers who recruited in the Nothing. summer. You don't. You Mark, you go on holiday. You have a skiing holiday. You chill out. Oh, true. True. You just relax. <laughs> there has been people that have rocked up and kind of gone I sell Christmas trees my business is very seasonal what can I do about it I'm like you sell Christmas trees yeah there's nothing you can do <laughs> mate well no I know and lots of businesses are seasonal do you know what I always say you know if you're seasonal you know it's a lot easier to grow your peaks than even out your troughs I mean I yeah, didn't actually yeah. somebody told me that years ago it's not me it was a, it was somebody I worked with a long time ago. Yeah. Because he, he might listen to this. He think, oh, I bloody said that. And yeah. it's true. He said he said you grow your peaks, and you'll get so much more money back in you know re- return on ad spend, return on investment in your business. If you try and even out your troughs, you're trying to get your troughs to come up. Oh my god! Yeah, it's, it's so inefficient. It's flow it with takes the river. So isn't it? much money. Flow with the river. Yeah. Go yeah. with the flow with the river. We haven't said that for a while actually. We no. said it all the time. Yeah, Go with the flow. I mean, that's that's what I used to when I first started doing consulting. Is I would always look for what was working, and I would just I'd, and I'd augment that, amplify it, amplify yeah. it, and that's that's you know you get such quick wins there. I didn't go and try and fix what was broken, um, you know, because it's like well, well that's think, really difficult. I think, I think the consultancy stuff that we were doing in 2020, 2021, really that was what it was, wasn't it? It was go with the flow of the river. Look, this is working. Push yeah. this harder. Whereas I think a lot of the work we've had to do in 2022 was, was going back to the core, the fundamentals, right? You're, mm. You've not addressed the fundamental reasons why people would buy. You, haven't, you don't understand the maths. We don't know how much it is to cost to, to recruit a customer. You don't know what your life to customer value is. Like we've had to go much more to the core, go back to the foundations of the business because they were trying yeah. to you know, ski off piece too soon. We said that, haven't we? Yeah, yeah, but yeah, I think it's yeah. the same next year. It's same twenty twenty three. It's go, it's go back to the core. We get the core right. Understand how you're going to disrupt the market. Really understand why people are going to buy from you. Don't be precious. 
you know, push well, I think we'll hard do, and we'll experiment. We'll do the next podcast. We'll do the next podcast on the opportunities 2023, yeah. and that's what we'll do next when we get back from from holiday. Because I think that we that there's lots of opportunities there that we're seeing, and um, I think that you know, if you look at where our models have come, I was saying to Kath before, Kath's my wife, I was saying that like the stuff we've got now compared to when we first started out and we didn't need, need, we didn't really know what it was. We just knew how to do it. And it's different when you turn around and teach it, that the models have really solidified themselves into solid tools that are there. You know, the work we're doing with sweet analytics and people like that to kind of make it easy for people to run, run them. And we'll, yeah. we'll talk about that next year, but it's, it's, it's become, you know, it become a much easier place to run e-commerce if you've got these tools in place and yeah. it's just amazing that no one's gone and done it before. It's just, I mean, it's common. It's like anything when it's common sense and it feels easy, you know, you've cracked it because yeah. it doesn't feel easy and it doesn't feel common sense before it's there. But someone, so when someone shows you how to do, it's like a magic trick. This magic trick's done like this. You go, well, that's bloody easy. But before you see it, you go, that's ridiculous. How the hell does that work? You know, I know. I always think, I think when people are explaining something to you and it sounds really complicated, you know, I think they, they, it's, it's, it shows they don't truly understand the essence of this, you know, of how simple it is, you know, yeah. they can't explain it. And if you, and if you listen to somebody explaining something that, that should be really complicated, but they're really making it, you know, really, it's, it's common sense. It all of a sudden mm. clicks. I think that, that shows that they truly understand the, the fundamental core of that subject well, it's like I mastery it's mastery of something it's like when you watch i watch surfers like professional surfers now before i surfed i'd watch professional surfers and go oh that's, that's pretty easy when you try and surf yourself you then go oh my god how on earth are they managing to do it like that and you you understand that that, that what they make look easy is is easy for them because they've mastered it but it's difficult to to do very difficult to do um but it's it's yeah things when they're when they when they know it right are easy and they're easy to explain it's probably what we're trying to say yeah yeah, yeah. anyway i think cool. we'll finish though we're banging on for 50 minutes yeah no god painful yeah. for everybody i know hard. people probably won't listen to <laughs> double speed sound like chipmunks yeah i would that's it <laughs> <laughs> all right Ian have a great Christmas okay and I'll, yeah, um, you I'll too. speak to you soon thanks Mark cheers take care bye bye